Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. Have thoughts on what we should cover in a future episode? Let us know on Twitter at at Cisco Champion. All right, so today we are talking about Cisco Crosswork Cloud. It is a powerful addition to any network operations using always-on, always-up-to-date SaaS-based services to help improve routing health, increase network visibility, maintain a trustworthy infrastructure, and generate network traffic insights. To help us understand what this all means, we have two amazing champs with us today and a fantastic Cisco expert. So let's get to know our cast of characters. David, we are going to start with you, my friend. Who are you? Oh, God. Well, my name is David Penaliza, <laughs> and um, I'm a principal engineer for Bryson Enterprise Solutions, and I work as a consultant. So I get paid to pay, well, to tell people they are doing things wrong. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. All right, Mir, you're up next. What do you do? My name is Mir Hosemi Lassami. First of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, and it, it's a great pleasure to be with you guys, especially with you, David, because it's a lot of fun to have podcasts with you. Oh, um, God. <laughs> I, I heard especially not president. me. Especially no, you, David. You. <laughs> well, but because anyway, she's in every podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> you too. You are almost on every <laughs> podcast, which makes it fun. Well, um, I am Vice President DevSecOps Engineering in uh, Morgan Stanley, a member of Cloud Security Squad. I'm interested and enthusiastic for anything related to cloud security and SaaS, PaaS, IaaS. Well, we're glad to have you with us. All right. Thank you. Dan, my friend, can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco? Watch sure. Out for my the name- radio voice. Oh, well, I was going to start off by saying this is a podcast. You cannot see the video, but there's an evil vendor hat. So I'll, I'll be the evil vendor guy here. Um, so I work for Cisco in the service provider organization. We call it the Mass Scale Infrastructure Group. And I think it's actually really well named. Uh, we tend to solve problems of networks at very large scale. So as we start talking about what we're doing with cloud and automation, this is something that's very top of mind for us. And we're often the place where we get very large, uh, very large types of networks, very large types of network management problems, and start thinking about the right solutions for those. So just as a little bit of background, I work with a product called Crosswork Cloud. Um, the first question we have for anything is, what does cloud mean? Cloud can mean a thousand things. It can mean everything from hosting your own thing into the uh, into the into your own infrastructure in your own private cloud in AWS. But in this case, we're talking about software as a service. This is a service that Cisco operates that our customers subscribe to that give them real visibility insights and can drive action through their automation systems. So that's what I do at Cisco. I am part of the architecture team for the mass scale infrastructure group. And most of what we're doing is looking at how do we expand and find the right solutions to the right problems for this type of uh, environment. And I'm really looking forward to talking to both David and Mir because SaaS is something that is top of mind for us and our customers, and we think there's a lot of opportunity to really help large-scale network operators with new technologies delivered to SaaS. 
stuff. That was way more than you wanted to hear, but hopefully that sets the stage. No, that was great. That was great. So um, if that's okay with everyone, I'm going to just um, fire a quick, quick question. And and uh, sorry for that, Dan. I'm, I'm just going to write off the bat, um, address the elephant in the room, right? When we talk about SaaS, right? When we talk about SaaS, we are talking about multi-tenancy. Let's say that I'm, I'm dealing with a highly regulated environment, highly regulated company, enterprise, or even service providers that are very conservative when it comes to security and compliance. Um, so how can I make sure that okay, this multi-tenancy and SaaS offering that you are providing, you're offering to me is secure enough from compliance perspective, from identity and access management, and and very very this I mean there there has to be some somewhere some service some some cloud private cloud maybe Cisco private cloud where is this being operated at? That's, you're not starting with the easy questions. Um, <laughs> let's unpack that a little bit. So first of all, let's actually have and I think there's a few things we want to cover on the discussion. Let's actually cover in general what why we think some services make sense for SaaS. And I think we should also touch on the fact that there's some services that make sense and other services that may not make sense. So let's actually touch on that first. I think you're also bringing up two other really important questions. One, which is what is the implication of customer data and access to customers' networks in a software as a service? We should definitely Correct. cover that. I think that's a really important part. And then the last piece is also just understanding what secure operations looks like and how this SaaS is operated. I think this is probably the most underlooked portion of what it actually takes to deliver an effective software as a service. SaaS is really more of an operational model than a software development or product process. And having the systems in place to securely operate this SaaS service is one of the most important things that we do to establish and maintain trust with our customers. So those are, I think, the, the key things that we should touch on, but let's unpack these one part at a time. So let's actually start with what we think makes sense here as cloud. Uh, so for SaaS solutions, there's always a tug of war between on-prem and what we can potentially offer as a SaaS. And especially for carriers, large enterprises, particularly regulated enterprises or government agencies that have uh, that have intense regulatory scrutiny, the first question is, where do you need to control the data and where do you need to control the fate of your network? This is always the first test for SaaS. Is does it make sense in SaaS? Let's actually have this discussion first. So as we look at the overall opportunities, I'm part of a larger automation team. We make software that does everything from network planning to network automation, <clears throat> excuse me, controllers, uh, also visibility, insights. There's a whole bunch of different applications that we make, and a lot of them are on-prem, and some of them are on-prem because it makes sense. If I was a carrier, the first thing I would look at is, are there things that I need to maintain control of in order to control my destiny as a network operator? So for instance, if I was looking for tight closed-loop control, I probably would not put an SDN controller that's updating SR policy very far away from my infrastructure. I would want to have anything that manages the service delivery or configuration relatively close to my infrastructure because that's part of the infrastructure that I need to guarantee the availability of my services. That's something that I would probably not say we would move to cloud right away. The other part though is that there are other types of applications which have to do with ongoing monitoring that tend to have challenges with scale out. 
that may make a lot of sense for some customers to do as a software as a service? It's a SaaS offering, right? So there is a shared responsibility. I am going to transfer the responsibility of some potential risk to you. So I will be off the hook for certain things. You, as as the uh, SaaS uh, uh, owner, will be on the hook. Um, now, from data privacy and uh, from, as I mentioned, the compliance perspective, what are the assurances that I can get? And does that even make sense to me to, to go that way, to have this single pane of glass kind of uh, when it comes to network analysis? So let's actually tackle that with two different questions. The first one is the shared responsibility model. Ultimately, this is a decision for you as a customer to make. So SaaS, we believe... So if we take a step back, we've already litigated all of this in the enterprise side. Service providers are a little special because on traditional enterprises, we have about 10 or 15 years of experience of what the shared responsibility model looks like. We've already seen and watch the evolution from the first time that we went into any enterprise to talk about software as a service, the answer was uh, bleep no. And then what we now realize is that a lot of relatively critical services are now delivered as software as a service. And what got us there is a couple of things. Number one, sometimes customers realize that there's some types of services that are not core to their business that make a lot of sense to consume as a service. And the second one is that Operators of SaaS have done a lot more work to really understand and control how data is being gathered, how it's being analyzed, how you're maintaining the barriers between tenancy, how you're maintaining privacy, where it makes sense to control for things like data sovereignty. And most importantly, the thing that gets talked about the least is what the operational model of that, so of that software as a service is. And I think right. that's, right. as you start peeling back the, the onion, I would actually say that as a consumer of SaaS, I would have three separate questions. The first one is, does it make sense? Would I put a controller in cloud or would I do something that's doing some type of lights out, scale out analytics in cloud? Those would be two different decisions. The next one is just with any data question, I would start to understand the data and the risk around the data. I would want to understand what data is being touched, what data would exist outside of your environment, what data can be processed locally. And is, can we reduce risks by aggregating information, reducing the information that's actually sent to cloud? That's one of the things that we already have as a strategy. And the last part is having a strong discussion with the team running the SaaS about what their operational model looks like. Do they have strict separation between ops and development? Now, part of what makes SaaS work is that operations and development sit next to each other so they can very quickly find and identify problems and fix them. But at the same time, internal processes are very critical. Developers should never be able to touch customer data. You should have highly segmented roles and responsibilities of who has access to customer data, and you should have systems that are designed to protect that. And that's an operational model. And the last piece is I think this is why it's very important to have an offering for, for a SaaS like this from somebody like Cisco versus a smaller startup. Smaller startups do not have the ability, in many cases, unless they have very specific, uh, very specific experience in this, to provide those levels of separation of operations and controls. That's a great point. That's a great point. Because I yeah. hear also from a lot of the stakeholders that, for example, they choose Microsoft Azure clouding, cloud offering just because it's Microsoft, you know, it, it already has the maturity level at as 
as a software development company at the world-class maturity. So you're absolutely right on that point. Uh, I, I feel, David, you want to go with the question. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just wondering then, uh, just uh, piggybacking on the first three uh, things that Dan mentioned, then, then he comes something at it. Well, we have discussed earlier that would be important then. When does it make sense? So when is it difficult enough, big enough, or easy enough, or, or, or maybe expensive or cheap enough? When do I decide as a customer that moving to a SaaS offering is going to be better? So is it because maybe the complexity of the environment? Is it because of the number of nodes? Is it because of maintaining it? Also, then that's where you come in then. Then what does it make it an attractive offering from a SaaS perspective? What is the, the offering for the customer? So they say, well, I would rather pick this because it's going to be easier, cheaper, faster, and name any other reason. And managed. I think that's a, that's an important piece of the puzzle, that it's a managed service. Oh, definitely. Right? You can just upload the responsibility to somebody else. But then, <laughs> so then, then what's the advantage we'll get with this then? If I have a, uh, a, in your case, if I have then a particular solution that does analytics, that does uh, information gathering, that, that processes all the, the information or all the data so it can get insights, then when is enough for a customer to have it on-prem? When is it enough or maybe too much of it when having it in somewhere else? So let's look at a couple specific examples because I think your, your question mm -hmm. is spot on about understanding which are the applications. But let's talk about some of the pain points first. Like why would we look mm -hmm. at a software as a service? So I also work with automation products for service providers. And a lot of these really focus on pretty complex on-prem problems. And one of the things that we often see is as we deal with mass scale providers, the scale behind these applications can sometimes very quickly get challenged. A solution that was designed to scale to 1,000, 2,000 nodes is now being asked to scale to 15, 20,000 or more nodes. What that means is software architectures actually have to change to be able to support that level of scale out. So these are some of the pains that we're already seeing. We already know that there's some things we know we have to deliver the scale because you want to keep that tight closed loop control inside the carrier. Network controllers, perfect example. We're not having any discussion about moving that to cloud right away because that's the type of thing that you want to keep tight control over. But where right. you start looking at anything that does a lot of scale out functions, particularly things like collection, understanding telemetry, providing insights into that information, that's generally where we see most of the scale pressure, especially on things like network planning tools, other types of analytics. That's where we see a lot of those challenges. And that's where we see in order to hit the scale that customers are asking for, in order to build products to do that, we have to start using tools that look more like the tools that are used to run a SaaS. And we're forcing our customers to basically become SaaS operators on their own just to run these apps. This is, this is a perfect example of where we think there's an opportunity to help reduce the pain of, and complexity of running these tools. So that's, I think, the, the, the first answer in terms of where do we think we target these applications. And it all comes down to how do we make, how do we solve two problems? How do we provide a way that we can scale up the applications? And then how do we provide a way that we're not adding operational pain to our customers? And the last piece is 
how do we start to really focus on the insights? And I'll back up for a second, just in automation in general, we have an overall strategy of how we handle automation and we're breaking it up into three, three pieces. It's visibility, insights, and action. You need visibility for individual network elements, network state. You need the ability to distill data into reasonable insights of what's actually happening. So how do we get past the data to actionable information that's coming out of the tools? And the last piece is how do we drive that action? And these aren't always, to, these aren't always the same product. So we have to build solutions that scale up for each one of those. So if we look at the overall strategy, we see that the visibility and insights is where it makes most sense to start looking at SaaS applications. So that's, I think that's sort of the first piece. That's where we go. Now let's look at some of the specifics of what we would target there. So we know that a lot of the problems that customers are trying to understand are operation of that network at scale, pulling visibility from these devices, especially as we start to see more growth in access. There's a large number of new devices. We're seeing some networks in excess of 30,000 nodes. And how do we start to provide a scale-out solution for that? That's where we think cloud makes sense. I'll pause here for a second because I think we're there's a couple things on the table. One is sort of where does this make sense? Two, what are some of the pain points that we see that customers are trying to address? And I think the third that we also want to also go back and touch on is how do we maintain that security level and and control yep. over data that Mir talked about? Yeah, that was actually in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just waiting for that with the baseball glove just there. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to ask, actually, uh, thank you to bring it to this point. So, you know, throughout my career, um, working with different enterprises, I have seen a couple of challenges. One of the main challenges was that, okay, there is this... Uh, kind of a trend of adopting SaaS applications from third-party companies. You adopt it from Cisco, yeah, from, I don't know, uh, Microsoft or you name it. But the problem is that when you when you want to have zero trust model, uh, security model, assume breach, and you want to have identity as the very first, uh, as your first security perimeter, perimeter right? Um then you you need to constant uh, you need to consolidate all of these, federate all of these identities with your identity provider. Now my question is that uh, Cisco uh, uh, Cisco Cross Cloud. Cloud. I'm sorry, Cross Work Cloud. Yeah, sorry. Uh, does this federate with my common uh, identity uh, providers, so I can have like I can have all of my users and uh, operators? Login and can have granular role-based access control over that? The answer is absolutely. And I think this is one of the strengths of providing services like this from a company like Cisco. I think there's really two key things that you get out of this. One is Cisco has lots of different types of software as a service. And our goal is to be able to deliver new types of service without having to make you reintegrate, especially things like core functions like identity. So one of the things that we do off the bat is we actually federate with Cisco's own identity provider. So the same, you log into Crosswork Cloud with exactly the same user ID that you log into WebEx or the same user ID that you log into uh, support.cisco.com to download the latest XR release, for instance. And from there, we that can even then uh, I that can even then federate with your own identity provider. So we have some customers that actually log in with their own IDP via that Cisco IDP, and ultimately we 
as a SaaS provider just inherit that identity assertion from our own IDP, and we map that to our own tenancy. So ultimately, so the Cisco goal... I, so Cisco IDP, sorry to cut you, the Cisco yeah. IDP, I just want to make sure I understand it. Cisco IDP is the gateway to other federation, federated IDPs. Correct. And the reason we do this is really simple. We would like you to... I, we'd like you to federate once with Cisco as opposed to separately for every single service that we build. Okay. Makes sense. Thanks. Okay. Then let's assume I am an authorized user. I have all the power in the world and all that. And then then my question is then how much can I do as a user or as an organization? Because then, okay, I got access to the software. It's always secure and all that. Then... What happens with the maintenance, uh, not just of the software itself, because if it's a SaaS, then that, that's a built-in characteristic that's part of the service, but this is just whatever is running there. What about this software that anyway I'm getting, the problem I'm trying to solve, and how difficult is it to maintain it? How difficult is it to get information from devices? You have several platforms and OSs and vendors, then where's the, how do you discern what's useful and what's noise? Right. So that's, I think, the key question. Let me actually restate that into product language. Um, oh, God. <laughs> wait for it. <laughs> yeah, I told you, I'm wearing the evil vendor hat here. Yeah. Um, so I think what you're actually getting to is one of the biggest problems. And I'm going to pick on something very specific in the operator space, which is if we start looking at how do we deal with telemetry? That's one. Of, so telemetry has been around for more than a decade. And what we've been seeing is more and more projects at a large number of customers to be able to gather more telemetry from devices. It's uh, usually using Netcon for GNMI to access direct data models from routers. It could be anything from sort of interface stats all the way to device health or your details about routing protocols, etc. One of the challenges is it's very easy to collect data, but it's very hard to get actionable information out of data. And that's, right. if, we, if we go back, there's a reason for us doing SaaS. And I think there's two key reasons. The first one is we want to change the experience of consuming and operating services. And we think that there are some services that if we can reduce the pain of testing, deploying, maintaining those applications and deliver it as a service, that's a large win for our customers. The second and almost more important one is that with a service, we can focus on a goal and not the tools or the data. And let's use a really simple example. If you're trying to determine is something healthy, what would you query? How, how is a router healthy? How would you know? You'd go log into it. You'd start looking at a bunch of CLI commands. If you're more fancy, you may start looking at specific models. But the more data you get, the harder it is to figure out what is that data actually telling you. So yep. the the approach for a lot of this has been if if it's not if we're not sure exactly which data points we want, one approach is collect all the things. It's sort of the Pokemon solution, right? Collect all the things. <laughs> and it's a valid point, but it basically means that you as a customer are taking on the burden of becoming a data analysis or data analyst for a platform that is something that you didn't build. So what we see is that there's a lot of tools out there and a lot of focus on how do we collect more telemetry models? How do we collect it in a more scalable manner? How do we put it all in a data lake? How we take all these queries and put them in a big Kafka bus and be able to build some, some analytics in the background? There's a hazard here. And the hazard here is that whenever you build a data lake, you're more likely to build a Superfund site than 
than a pristine lake. <laughs> so <laughs> any data scientist will tell you that they spend about 80 per, to 90% of their time, depending on who you ask, cleaning data as opposed to doing data analytics. The reason we think that focusing on visibility and more importantly, insights in cloud matters is we can focus on the end goal. It's not about how do we collect all the telemetry models. It's how do we focus on a goal of understanding is something healthy and what are the things that we would need to monitor to see if it's healthy and focus on those, focus on understanding and how to interpret these and then being able to come back with a useful answer for you as a customer. That's the real goal of what we would try to target in cloud. And I'll, I'll pause okay. there. Yeah, hold yeah, on there. Actually, I, wanted, I wanted to drop on something. Hold on here, sorry. It's just that, you know, I'm wearing also my own hat. So, well, it doesn't look like it, but it's my haircut. So, <laughs> uh, so what happens when, let's suppose they have a bunch of brilliant engineers and they finally figure it out and I don't need all these fancy services because they are very expensive. You know, I'm this type of guy who cannot reach his wallet. So I understand it's not that everybody is bad because of this, but finally I found it with my team of engineers. I have got the panacea of the insights and everything. What happens if in the next release, everything changes and all my models are different? <laughs> What's going to happen there? That would never happen. It's, it's never happened in the history of the industry, clearly. And it never happens occasionally. Um, this is actually one of the... David, I think you are, you are traumatized, David. Sorry, David, go ahead. <laughs> oh, well. I think we I have are. Had... We're, we're in the automation team. We consume models too. And I, and I think this is one of the things that um, all of a lot of vendors have spent a lot of time making sure that these models maintain fidelity and don't change over time. There's been a lot of work in the industry, especially around things like open config to really standardize and, and, and uh, create sort of a common type of models for this. But in general, I would actually come back and say, why as a, as a customer, why is a specific model your problem? The, inf the information, your a model is just a way of formatting data. The mm -hmm. reason you would attack this as a software as a service is things like data types and even the type of data you're looking for may change over time. It's not about a model changing. Maybe you just realize that, oh, well, I was looking at X before, but I really need to look at Y instead. So the idea that is, if you have a service that's focused on the outcome that can be constantly up to date and constantly adapt, then we can go ahead and make those changes. We can choose and target those models and we can build a service that also changes the analytics over time for what we need to get to get to the outcome and visibility that you want. Let's contrast that to if instead you build an internal service that's collecting a lot of data, now it's up to you to understand when models, what models you're pulling, are you pulling the right models, is the data you're getting the data you think you need, and how do you interpret it? This is the big change that we think in terms of really focusing on insights. And I think, David, you're going to bring up a point of how do we make it actionable? That's actually the most important. You just, you just spoiled my question, man. <laughs> See, we were here almost doing the sign language that... And then he's like, so how do you want to do it? Oh, God, no surprise. <laughs> he's very fun at parties, right? <laughs> like, is this your yeah, card? But... Oh, no. <laughs> but then, before, before you touch base on, on, on the actionable part, I wanted to just mention something that you mentioned something that was very important you, about data, uh, data source fatigue phenomenal. 
you know, when you have too much data. I remember clearly when I was almost 10 years ago, when I was doing my Cisco Academy, we had a very nice Cisco teacher. And I asked a question from the, he was teaching us about um, uh, logging, uh, syslog logging levels. And he was talking, yeah, you can put it on debug and you will get all the nitty gritty information. I asked that, okay, why we shouldn't put it always in the, in, on the debug and get all the details and all the data. He mentioned something that has stuck with me. He said that, listen, son, sometimes too much information is as dangerous as less information. Ignorance is so bliss. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go ahead, go ahead then. Well, let me answer that by by drawing a picture that we all know, which is... After you collect data, you need to do something with it. And I think this is another key point for us in terms of how we build a service to do this level of visibility and insights is when you collect data, the goal is not to build a big fancy knock display. Everybody wants to have that because it's easier to sell a product if you have a beautiful display. But in reality for network operations, what you want is for something to be sitting there monitoring things silently in the background. And when it figures out there's something you should care about, it should let you know, but not flood you with information if you don't need that information. I think, Mir, to your point, that's exactly what that instructor was talking about. The goal here is how do we pull away from the data and start to make everything that we identify as actionable as possible? Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes there are things that are very difficult to determine a root cause. You may need to have some data, but the more we focus on Every time that we see an anomaly, see thresholds being passed, where we start to raise an alarm and send a notification to another system, we want to make sure that that's as actionable as possible. And that is, I think, a product design question. And it comes back to a simple problem. Everybody in operations right now has been subject to so much alert fatigue for the past decade that we don't need more alerts. We need more actionable information. And that is something that's not a feature. It's an ongoing process. This is why it needs to be a service because the answer for how do we make it actionable is constantly evolving. And we need to be able to keep that up and not be on a standard waterfall release cycle that releases a new version every quarter or two or three. Right, right. That makes sense. And so now, so then, now I have the nice actionable data, right? Now I want to, I want to get it to the right people. What uh, collaboration integration, collaboration platform integrations are supported here? I want to do like I don't know Teams, or Slacks, or or even I want to put it into my Seam uh, tool uh, or cloud storage, S3 bucket or Azure storage accounts. It, it, are these possible by API calls? So you want a bot to spam you? Do you, so you want to you want to have your own bot spamming you via Cisco Teams <laughs> like memory is high, memory is high, memory is high. OSPF is down. OSPF is down. Ah! I need coffee. I need coffee. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You'll quickly learn if the alerts are actionable or not. It won't take long. Um, so you so Beer, I think you're hitting on one of the really important points. There, there's another implicit question here of why would you do something as a SaaS? All of the things that you're talking about are actually cloud to cloud integrations. Right. When you want to send any type of actionable notification, the question is, where is it going? If everything is on-prem, then you're looking at how do you feed an on-prem log analysis tool, et cetera, where's your syslog target? All of those, the traditional answer was you just create a data feed to some collector inside. 
what we're increasingly seeing is the way that you want to reach operators with actionable information is through things like chat ops. It's through things like external integrations. And if you have one of the traditional challenges with on-prem apps is every time you're doing a cloud, uh, any type of cloud tether or any type of cloud integration, you're always going back and punching a hole through the firewall again. And also cloud services change, so it's always a moving target. Integrating between cloud services is actually one of the reasons why this type of service makes a lot of sense in cloud, because we can build these integrations. Uh, you had a pretty good list. In fact, we've already done most of those. With the existing Crosswork Cloud application, we can do simple things like sending emails or SMS. That's kind of a basic. And that's usually reserved for sort of really high profile alerts that are sort of high confidence alerts. But if you want to send information, maybe sending it to a WebEx Teams channel or a Slack channel or a Microsoft Teams channel. These are all ways that we can start to better integrate with chat ops and interact with ops staff the way that they're interacting with each other. And this is something that is particularly important to do as a cloud service because number one, it's much easier to get cloud to cloud integration than it is to punch holes through the firewall, right. but also it can constantly adapt and it can be part of the service. And we can, if something breaks, we can fix it without you as a customer having to fix it. Yep. That Makes sounds sense. fabulous enough, honestly. When they tell me, I'll fix it. Oh, okay. Let me just wait here and, <laughs> you know, use the whip like, whoosh, is it working now? When that fix so, comes as a patch that somebody has to take a downtime well, well, for. Well, when you get the alert from Dan's platform, then that's a really network issue. You know, it's a real net. It's down, it's down. That is, that is so, the goal. <laughs> so there's another thing, right? Because before we were talking about this, but I think we just well, we just slightly scratched it and then we continue with, continued with some other topics. So I would like to then draw the attention back into the the security topic because we understand that some things have to be secure, but but how are we making it secure? How are we then scrapping some of the sensitive things and using the information as we want it to as we want it to be useful? Because in order to know if something is good or bad, you don't necessarily know sensitive info, IP addresses and host names and all those things. So how do you then make it useful and at the same time secure? Because well in many occasions there is a compromise. So how do we then make use of all that info? Let's because talk- it's going to be customer data, right? Sorry, just wanted to put the last thing. Go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's so let's actually talk about approach because I think as a security professional, the answer there's never a binary thing of is it secure or not. The question is always what is your approach and how do we follow the best practices for doing this. And I think there there's really two major things that we can do as a SaaS provider to give to actually have the right approach. The first one is actually being really selective on the data that we gather. There is absolutely no requirement that we need to send all the data directly to cloud. We don't want all that data. It doesn't make any sense to have every piece of data from a customer prem on uh, in cloud. That's not the goal. Actually, the best way to do this as a cloud service is how do we start to provide a way to actually collect and groom that data highly aggregate it and only send the information that makes sense into cloud where you need to do analytics and alerting. So that's actually a design pattern that we've already built. I'll give you an example. We have a tool that will do NetFlow analytics and it's targeted towards understanding peering points uh, and help you identify points of congestion, understand what traffic flows look like to your peers and upstreams. 
that's something that relies on NetFlow. NetFlow can get very granular. Uh, there's some of us have worked with NetFlow tools that can get to the point of identifying individual flows for security breaches, et cetera. But here, our goal is if we're trying to understand traffic visibility, we don't need all that information. In fact, in many customers, right. and I, if in many customers, the the real question is, can any piece of data actually identify an individual user? And a good test for that is, does it have individual IPs in it? Because an IP, in some cases, can be associated with a user. What we found is that the smart way to do this is actually aggregate it on-prem and then in an on-prem gateway and only send information northbound to cloud that is actually highly aggregated. For instance, there's no IP addresses in those flows that actually goes to our cloud service. It's only aggregated information based on BGP tables and BGP tables are fundamentally public because they're part of the global default free zone. So that's actually one approach is being smart and understanding the data and doing hierarchical processing. So we're not uplifting all data to cloud that doesn't need to be there. I'll pause there because, and there's another point about operations, but I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on the first point. Oh, in all honesty, I think is excellent because you have services in which, or even professionals, I've worked with a bunch of people when you ask them, so which information you need? And when they don't know what they need, they, they tell you, just give me everything. What the hell are you going to do with a bunch of useless stuff? doesn't matter. I will just pick what I need. Then what's, what's the, 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 the usefulness of just vomiting a bunch of info and then you just, well, you will just pick a couple of them and then all the other stuff will be, well, noise will be just wasted. Because those were the times, well, maybe I sound old already, where I had to, okay, let me just give you this 20 pages document and you're going to use maybe five words, 73 pages. Then what do you do with the rest of it? And that's the part that I find interesting because then it's not just that there could be a potential security breach because that's a customer's information. It's also that you are just using so many resources for well, for, for things that could be done in a smarter way, you don't have to process everything. You don't have to touch everything. You don't have to transport, send, and, and, and simply handle all the information to, to gather or to, or to process the writing. That's you, you need to know what you need. That's the important thing. You know, there's an, an old, uh, an old of these stories about a guy who comes and then charges a person a thousand dollars for tightening the right screw and it's one dollar for the screw 999 for knowing which screw it is and that's exactly the case it's not about well i'm gonna tighten all possible screws i can find here <laughs> it's just knowing which one is making the right amount of pressure so i i just solved the problem and i'm gonna say charge you for that because that's knowledge right but <laughs> but it's gonna be faster <laughs> is this the, this is what comes to my mind right now maybe it's a little bit noisy and well i'm always noisy but uh, a little bit messy but <laughs> well i i think what you're what you're talking about actually makes a lot of sense and we actually see this as part of the product design so if we focus the product on finding specific types of insights that we want to bring it allows us to be judicious about what data we need it's it this is how we avoid becoming a data collection exercise and i think near to your point having very targeted, focused look at what data we need, intelligent processing, making sure that we're not uplifting data we don't need to uplift. This is an important part of the product design that should be part of this discussion. Um, you also asked another important question, which is really more about the operational side too. And I think that's worth touching on as well. One of the advantages of being at a company with the resources like Cisco is that 
we don't have to start with doing designing for compliance as a separate task for each single service. We actually have an internal group that is responsible for maintaining compliance, maintaining certifications, and maintaining corporate adherence with these services. So what this means is that uh, just like we have software supply chain controls, we actually have cloud operational controls. We actually call it CSDL. It's considered sort of a cloud software uh, design lifecycle management. And this is actually how we not only have oversight into the operations to make sure that we have those processes in the system, but also that we're in, we're actually compliant with these processes as Cisco. And it goes past just compliance. It also We also do things like have internal pen testing and red teams that are actually looking at, at actually testing these operations. So this is a large part of what we do as a vendor in terms of not only operations and smart design, but oversight of those operations. That's actually something that Cisco does, and it's a group that's completely separate from the product team that does it, that actually has the, by the way, they actually have the power to shut us down if they're not okay with it. I like that kind of power. But the moment you said compliance, then Mir, <laughs> you know, Mir's eyes just went. <laughs> well, just the last question from my side, and David, is all yours for the last moment. <laughs> <laughs> So when we were talking about the uh, collaboration collaboration platform integration, something came to my mind that now there is this um, demand in the in the market when it comes to API driven collaboration that I want your SaaS uh, product to make a, to be able I, I want to uh, invoke a webhook that with the webhook I can do some API operation on my end to do some customized actions. Is that possible with cross? Not only is it possible, that's the design goal. So Perfect. what you're what you're talking about is actually a really important part about what we can offer as a service. So it's not just about providing a UI. It's not just about providing a notification engine and integration to other services. It's also about becoming a data provider. And our largest customers are constantly stressing us on expanding the amount of API access that we have. We have products that do BGP security. We have products that do device integrity monitoring. We have products that do traffic analytics. And we find that having this cloud-based API is actually one of the largest strengths for a couple things. Number one, it's a consistent point you can integrate with. It's much easier to integrate with a cloud service with a persistent API than trying to figure out the path to integrating to an internal API and having the operational challenges around that. Number two, it's something that we can also continuously update and expand. As we get new use cases, one of the number one feature requests that we get from our large customers is what new data types and functions can we expose through APIs and we can turn around and deliver those without having to go back and touch on-prem software. And the last piece is also just the security implication of this. We can have a single system for API keys and bearer tokens that allow you to do sort of uh, user or tenancy context in terms of integrating with those APIs. You can have these persistent integrations in an intelligent way that is intelligently authenticated with its own access and revocation system. So we think that this API-driven approach in terms of exposing these services is absolutely the reason to build something like a cloud SaaS. I know, that he, I know that he wants Alexa to let him know that the router is down. I got you, Mir. <laughs> Imagine Alexa. 
Hey, Mir, the router is down. And then, you know, you can start running. And, and your coffee is cold at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, to wrap up, because this, is, this has been very wide. And we have covered all things, honestly, that I could imagine. So just to wrap up, I think that if we could just put it into three, five points that come to your mind, Dan, just that we can put everything or, or run everything up, then what would you tell people right at the end? So so I, I, I appreciate the discussion. And I think, David and Mir, I think there's a lot of really important questions that we have as, in terms of cloud. Just as an architect on the cloud SaaS side, these are the conversations that we constantly have with customers. And I think the number one takeaway is we know there are plenty of places where we can really enhance customers' operations with SaaS services. And these are exactly the conversations that we're having with all of our customers. And I'm glad that we can have it here in this forum because I think this is an important part of how we, how not only how we design and build these services, but how we integrate in, these into our customers. Specifically, we think that there's a really big opportunity to help our carriers and I, our carrier customers. And I think there's a couple places. One is how do we really bring more insights to any type of telemetry and visibility. We think that um, we think that number one, being able to deliver monitoring at scale with intelligent alerting is how we do this. We this is exactly what our focus is on the cloud side. Number two, it's trying to change that cycle from just collecting data to doing intelligent analytics and basically pulling, choosing what information we pull based on the outcome as opposed to just collecting a lot of telemetry data. We think that this is how we can change the conversation in terms of making telemetry very actionable. And the last piece is exactly what we just talked about, about APIs and making these systems that can become data providers and a source of truth for information uh, for our customers that if we're doing things like collection and analytics at scale, how do we start to build that integration to their existing systems and also to really fill in that last component of automation, which is action. How do we take these insights, produce notifications, drive that action, whether or not that's something in the cloud or an on-prem system that we can advocate, that we can uh, integrate with. So these are really the things that we think are most important. Um, and this is, I know this is a exciting conversation here that we, this is a conversation we have with a lot of our customers. We'd love to extend this conversation as well. Um, we, we have a, way that you can get in contact with us just uh, there's an email ask-crosswork-cloud at cisco.com that's a great way to to integrate with us and have that discussion and uh and i'll i'll pause with that i think that this is really what keeps us up at night and what really drives us during the day in terms of delivering more actionable insights and uh, information for our customers i'm wondering if if having a coffee with dan would feel like be you know having a a radio program, imagine. So Dan, do you want to have a coffee? And they're like, oh, sure. And they're like, oh, man, keep talking. Like, <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, nicely done, gents. Another fantastic episode on the books. Want to continue your journey and learn more? Check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, this is your weekly reminder. You can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week.